0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Slice of Healthcare. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. On today's episode, we're going to have Dr. Tiffany Kelly. Dr. Kelly is a nurse entrepreneur, author, inventor, and keynote speaker on healthcare innovation, and has a PhD in prepared informatics. We're going to talk a little bit about her company, Nightingale Apps, today which is a health information technology company that offers up mobile applications to nurses working in different hospital settings. So very excited to learn about that, as well as her academia career. Without further ado, here is Dr. Kelly. Hi, Dr. Kelly. Having me. Hi, Tiffany. Thanks for coming on. Sure. Just gave... A quick introduction to you, but I would like to start off with you telling us a little bit about your, your background and we can kind of transition from that. Sure.
1: So, I am a nurse and um, I always start that way because that's really where um, my education and practice and point of view really uh, generate from is from the nursing field. And so, I've been a nurse for 18 years. And took care of children at different pediatric academic medical centers across the U.S. um, for a few years. And then really was starting to look for something else that I could get involved in and perhaps help nurses help deliver care to their patients. So having the the nurses, the the person to be focused on um, at that point rather than the patient as the direct point of contact. And I... I found myself involved in um, an electronic health record implementation uh, um, probably about 15 years ago now, and I had no idea what I was getting myself into at that time. I thought, you know, well, how hard can it be to translate paper records into a digital computerized platform? And I obviously highly underestimated it. So my whole career has been sort of involved in that since this time. So I found myself involved in an electronic health record implementation, really loved working on that. It's like a giant puzzle and multiple people involved and you have to figure out what the best way is to support everybody's needs with the technology. Um, And then started to really wonder, okay, well, how do we know these systems are, are really delivering the quality care that we say that there's going to do for us. And, um, you know, I started to notice nurses really having a hard time, um, you know, really being able to connect with their patient in the sense of knowing their patient. And so I would hear this expression of, I feel like I don't know my patient anymore in a way that really caught my attention, but it didn't, permeate to like a boardroom style conversation. It was sort of these, you know, little conversations that would happen in the hallway or on the side. But those types of comments paired with me wondering about whether or not this is really driving higher quality care and me finishing my master's degree, all sort of happening at the same time, led for me to end up in a PhD program at Duke studying, um, the use of information by nurses in an effort to really understand how do we design clinical information systems. And so I was at Duke for four years. I studied the meaning of knowing the patient. I studied, I developed an, a, uh, a tool so that I could measure information use uh, that nurses used for my main dissertation study. And then I studied nurses before and after, and electronic nursing documentation um, implementation to understand what's happening. So I observed them, I interviewed them, I did document reviews, I was a shadow on their uh, day for, uh, it ended up being about 400 hours that I spent on this. And um, I share all of that because this sort of the progression of sort of how I've gone from being a, um, you know, a new staff nurse to at this point that I just shared in my dissertation, I had an indirect finding of really recognizing that there's a gap in providing care for tools for nurses. So what I mean by that is every day nurses use a, a scrap sheet of paper, whether it's a, um index card or a piece of paper from the printer or their own formatted tool to get reports, shift reports. So shift report is... Um, the first 30 minutes of a nurse's shift and they write down with the pen, all the information that the, the nurse that's leaving is telling them. And so it's uh, a practice that's been going on for decades and I never really questioned it until I started to recognize that there were smartphones in their pockets as well. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, Oh, we could do something here. So, um, I won't get too into that right now. Cause you asked me for the intro, but that those sort of those, um, uh, observations and just being sort of in a mental state of really looking at how do we solve these problems led me to really then transition out of academia after I finished my PhD and want to pursue entrepreneurship and and take this problem that I was seeing and the opportunity that I saw and turn it into a business. And so for the last five years, since I finished my PhD, I've been in the entrepreneurial world of um, developing... Products, developing companies, and really trying to help make an impact in healthcare from a different lens than I would say is traditionally known of as from the, for nurses. So that is a little bit about me <laughs> as an intro.
0: Very, very interesting. I, I I understand exactly what you're saying with nurses. I had a relative that was over the last probably couple of years. They've been in and out of. Uh, Mass General, and a lot of good nurses uh, that he had during those last few years. Um, but you always wonder, you know, how are they getting this information? How can they better uh, know, know the patients that they're dealing with on a daily basis? Because he, while he had a lot of good nurses, there was a lot of information that was often forgotten. Right. And when they have all these different medications, and not even from a medical perspective, just understanding who the person is, that goes a long way in, in patient care. Right. Um, so I definitely find that that intro and what you're doing very interesting. Um, I do want to get into the the current venture, but what I would like you to tell the audience a little bit, because I, I did notice, you know, your adjunct professor for a little while. I would really like to hear that transition between the clinical to academia and then the academia to entrepreneurship. Sure.
1: So um Clinical to academia. So the clinical is pretty standard for a nurse that's graduating nursing school, like sort of, that's the expected pathway. Not everybody does it, but you're really excited to be able to finally use the skills that you've learned in clinicals and in the, the lab and in the books to then be able to actually take care of patients. And so it's a very exciting time. And you're a little bit nervous, as you should be, but you're also excited because you get to, to put all of what you learned over those last several years into action with your patients every day. And so I really did enjoy taking care of the children that I took care of, and um, I worked in Children's National Medical Center in D.C., uh, San Diego Children's Hospital, which is now Rady. And uh, Boston Children's Hospital, on a variety of different patient populations. And I, I did enjoy taking care of the kids. It was just always very, you know, fulfilling to be able to see that they were progressing. And you could almost tell when they were getting ready to go home. Because as soon as they started to sort of run around the unit, and I mean that seriously, like running around the unit, they, you knew they were feeling better. And it was about almost time for them to... Get ready to go home. Um, but baked into the care delivery process are a lot of inefficiencies, and I couldn't articulate it that way at the time in which I was looking to sort of leave the bedside. I just knew I was frustrated a lot, and I I was constantly hitting up against things that were causing me to get delayed in what I wanted to do. So it's like you're you're. Um, Going to give a patient a medication and you walk into the room and, oh, well, you're not supposed to put it in that. We're supposed to do it this way. And so you'd go back and you'd have to redo that. And so there are all these things that would take place or there was never enough linen on the cart. They sound really small, but there's so many of them that happen over the course of the day. And it just got me to think like some of these things don't really need to be problems. Like, why are we (laughs) having these issues every single day? But again, I couldn't articulate it that way. And so I um, really felt like I needed to go back to school because I needed to understand what was going on a little bit better. And at that time, a lot of the nurses I knew were going back to become a nurse practitioner. And I would look at their day and think, well, their day looks a lot harder than mine. And so I don't know that that's the right pathway for me. So there's got to be something else that I can do. And Northeastern University in Boston had a, a joint uh, program, a master's in nursing administration and MBA. And I thought, okay, let me go explore this because I think I really want to understand uh, healthcare as a business. And having, if I'm going to go back to school at that time, I thought this was going to be it. I was like, I'll go get my master's degree, and that'll be it. And so, if I'm going to do this now's the time to add on another discipline to learn so that I can do it at the same time. And a lot of people thought it was kind of crazy to, to, I think I had to have like 72 credits or something like that to oh, graduate. Wow. And so it took me four years. So at that point I was doing my, um, I guess you could say clinical cause I was in a, a, a clinical analyst role. I wasn't taking care of patients, but I was still involved in the hospital setting and doing my master's degree um, at the same time. But then I, when I was approached to do a PhD program, that was a complete transition out of um, practice into a full academic environment. And that was a difficult transition for me because I had been so used to working in teams and in meetings with lots of different people and transitioning from that environment into a PhD environment was tough for me because at that point you're now independently working on what you're working on. So you're working on your dissertation, basically from the minute you enter the door, which sounds a little intimidating, but um, all of the efforts you're doing, whether it's think just even thinking are about working towards your dissertation. And so that's your, that's your own thing. You have your mentor or your dissertation chair who's helping advise you but the work you're doing is all on your own and it's also very different because it's studying reading and um writing and the writing is papers and grants. So I would say that transition was very difficult for me the first uh year year and a half and then by year 3 I was like okay like it becomes normal. Like you've got to develop new work patterns because you're <laughs> you're working independently. You really don't have a lot of deadlines other than the semester ending, but you do have an impending deadline of you have to graduate and get your dissertation, which some people can take many years to do. And I was determined to be done in four. <laughs> <And> so um, so <laughs> you have to be disciplined and then also like learn how to adjust to Um, I'm going to use the word failure, but I didn't use it at that time. I think the setback is the word I used at that time because going from, I don't think anyone could really prepare you for what a PhD is going to look like, but it is just really uh, constantly you're ideating and you're creating something new. So you're going to fall into these traps of oh, well, that didn't work out quite right. Or somebody doesn't understand what you're saying or the argument isn't quite positioned quite right. And so you're constantly evolving it. And if you've never gone through that before, it's it's really difficult to deal with. And or getting back papers that are all marked up. You're just like, oh my God, what did I do? Uh, <laughs> but over time, you learn that that's just the way that it is. And so I think in many ways, those experiences have helped me prepare for what entrepreneurship is, which is like that on steroids. So, um, you know, entrepreneurship, so transitioning out of academia into an entrepreneurial pathway, um, was not what people had expected. I would do. It was not what traditionally nursing PhD graduates do the, the, um, traditional pathway is that you go and get a postdoc. So you do more um, research and work on your uh, body of work for a year or two, and then transition into a faculty role with uh, the hopes that it would be a tenure track faculty position at a research intensive institution. And I, I saw that pathway and um, you know, I also had this, this new idea for Know My Patient, which is our our mobile application. And I thought, you know, I really think for this to be successful, I need to look at how to commercialize it. And so that was the decision point for me was I could do either option, but which one was going to be the one that I felt as though could work towards commercialization and in an effort to get now my patient into the hands of as many nurses as possible. And so that was my decision point, not knowing anything really about entrepreneurship. But I think one thing that a PhD does prepare you for, or at least that experience, is that you feel equipped that you could do whatever you needed to do, right? So you're set up that you've got the, the thinking skills, the analytical skills, where if there's a problem, you can figure out how to solve it. You don't need to know everything, but you know that you can, you can break it down And move it forward. So while I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship, I didn't really see it as, well, I can't do that then. I just was like, here's this invention that I have. Um, I think nurses deserve to have it because it will help improve their day and really the morale as well as the patients and the whole hospital. So let's go start a company. And so that transition point um, was gradual in the sense that it's not like you leave like one setting and then boom, you've got this like business in front of you. There's so many little steps to even work towards getting there and thinking about, okay, what is it we're doing? What is the product? Like I think a lot of times people start with the product and then they build the company around that, which is, you know, it it is what it is. There's so many different ways to do it. But, um, and then gradually over time really come to learn, okay, well, What is this business world like? Because once you transition from a a student role to a person in a business role, there is a shift in how people will sort of perceive you and or sort of wonder, you know, what's what caused that change. And especially in nursing, it's it's becoming more common. But five years ago, it was not common for a nurse to go and start a business and that is something that i have learned and i knew i had no idea i was like well i have, what why wouldn't i go do this and so but um it's changing and we're seeing a lot more nurses go down this pathway which is really exciting um so that's been some of those transition points in the sense that clinical to academics is um your your environment changes and your focus changes and your work style changes and then from academics to entrepreneurship and and the business world is a whole nother ball game because now you're, you're not in the confines of your institution. You're the whole world is like sort of available to you or they feel they are, um, can contact you. And so you have to figure out who are the right people to be around that are going to help me move this forward. And that can be a very difficult thing to navigate, especially early in starting a business. I'm sure you, you understand as well.
0: Yeah. It doesn't seem, I mean, although you said there were parts that it wasn't the norm for, you know, a PhD student to go into the entrepreneurship path, especially in nursing. It, it doesn't seem like even though it was uncomfortable at first that you had much of a issue though, with that transition. No. Is that fair to Yeah.
1: Say? No, I mean, I kind of, um, the decisions I've made in my career have never been, well, I, I should be doing this. So let me go do that. It's always been about like, what's I'm, tr- what I'm struggling with at that moment in time. So, you know, I knew I wanted to be a pediatric nurse and I did that. And then I started to feel like this isn't a good fit for me anymore because I'm having all of these questions and I was uncomfortable and I wasn't seeing other people having the same struggles. So I knew I needed to find something else. And so then I went and found that what that was, was a master's degree and then a career in informatics and health IT. And then when I needed more knowledge, I didn't, couldn't articulate it at that time this way either. That's when I ended up in a PhD program. So everything that I've done has sort of been like, all right, here's what I'm thinking about and this is what I want to do. What are my options for how to do it? And then I just decide on what that is and go. Um, I'm very not concerned with what I someone says I should do. Um, and actually that if, can really be a difficult thing for people to be able to navigate because some I've been told, well, you should be, you know, um, academic, you know, tenure track faculty member. This was several years ago. And I thought, I understand it. I understand I've got the credentials for it, but at that point in time, I I didn't feel like it was the right fit. So I always make the decision for myself. I do take into consideration, you know, what people are telling me and listen to that. But as far as transitions um, and feeling, feeling like you're going against the grain Um it really doesn't stop me. You know what I mean? It's more just like, all right, well then people need more awareness around this. So like, let's do some more education. However, I can do that to show that this isn't, you know, an outlier issue. It's more just, I might be doing this a little bit earlier than some other people.
0: Well, I think, you know, you and I have spoken before and then you, you nailed it on the head right there. You don't do what people think you should do. You do what, you know, feels right to you. And that's definitely the, the mark of an entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, going back to the part where you were saying you, you had all these questions, were you were you asking these questions too when you were in the clinical setting that were allowing you to come to some of these findings?
1: Um so the which <laughs> which questions? related to the product or or just in general? Just
0: just in general. We so we haven't released it yet, but we just did a podcast on how healthcare professionals can be more creative because mm-hmm. we were talking about like what you, uh, our last week's guest and you, you were in the healthcare field and now you're starting a, you have this healthcare business, and which related to what you were doing before. And that's how you came up right. with the idea for this business. So what we're trying to do is saying, well, healthcare professionals, especially, they're on the, they're on the backgrounds right. every single day. If they're asked, if they ask the right questions or they write down their ideas and they consistently follow through with them, they have the best chances of, of being yes. entrepreneurs because they, they feel the pain the most. Yes. So that's what I'm asking yes. you. Those, those questions definitely led to. to this. Yes.
1: So um, again, I think I was fortunate enough to be in an environment where I was being, constantly challenged to think outside the box like my phd program and so i worked under ed hammond who created one of the first electronic health records and he was fantastic for that he you know i'd say something and he'd say well why and he's an engineer and so our perspectives were always a little bit from different angles and we would talk through it and make me think about things a little bit differently so i was always looking at what's going on and when i started to see patterns Of things that's when I really started to pay attention because when you start to see patterns when you a you have to be able to identify that there is a problem right so a lot of its mindset and you I've never been someone who can't figure out that there's problems Uh, you know it's more just like I'm able to see them everywhere the challenge is being able to say what are the opportunities we can solve and so if you can be in the right mindset and start to think about like how people are working and watching what they're doing And also, like, what are the pain points? What could work? What's the context? You know, all these things. It sounds kind of messy, but that's how you figure out, like, how to create a solution. And um, so I was asking some questions, but I was also, like, really sort of, like, watching very closely. And I also had my own experience as a nurse to know why people were doing certain things. Or I'd ask them. I'd be like, well, why are you doing that? And they would tell me, and it was more just to see like, what is it that's happening here that's causing you to be completely frustrated? And so I think um, health, you're absolutely right. And I talk, I actually get invited to talk on keynotes about this all the time, which I love because there's no reason why there aren't more and more nurses and healthcare professionals taking whatever they're seeing as like almost going to, be the thing that makes them quit their job and figuring out a solution to it. Because I, I used to, in one of the classes I taught, I created an assignment. It was called uh, innovation assignment or in, informatics innovation assignment. And I said, find a problem that that is in your workplace that you are completely frustrated by. And I mean frustrated, like you want to quit your job over it or you are, you know, complaining about it on your way home from work. That is the thing you should figure out a solution to. And so they would have to, excuse me, write this three to five page paper on identifying the problem. And I said, take away any barriers, you know, like don't assume that there's not staff. Don't assume there's not money. Don't assume that the technology doesn't exist. Just what does the solution look like? And some students loved it. And they, I mean, all of them did fantastic. It was the the best papers I would read. But some were very uncomfortable, but by it because there weren't rules. Well, I don't understand where are the, what's the, what's the parameters for this. I said there aren't any other than what I'm telling you. This you have to be creative, and so um, I think it, some of it is your own comfort level with yeah. being creative. But there's no reason why. Others can't be in the entrepreneurial space. And I also talk about there's no barriers to going in entrepreneurship. You, you're It's open to anyone. You just need to have a really good idea and execution.
0: Yeah, especially in healthcare, because I'm sure you see, uh, I talk with many healthcare professionals and myself included, looking at the entrepreneurship landscape and healthcare. There's a lot of banging your head off a desk moments yes. because yes. of how there is some stubbornness and there definitely is out of all the industries you look at as much money that's invested into healthcare why isn't innovation <laughs> at a super high level it's it's pretty funny and you nailed it with what you had your students do on assignments and, and it just keeps coming back to this point though you always you'll hear people that want to get into entrepreneurship and they're like but I don't have an idea and it's like well how do you get the idea yeah. you have to have a problem right. that you really want to solve and uh, it was was the famous quote from albert einstein if uh if i had an hour to solve a problem i'd spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and five minutes thinking about the solution yeah. now i don't agree totally with that quote because you need to spend a little more than uh, <laughs> an hour a couple of minutes. right
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> um but but i do i do believe in simplicity and sometimes when we drag things out we overthink yeah that's why you see these design sprints are so popular in business to start up these software companies in a couple of days by testing and failing really fast yeah. because sometimes when we're if I, if I give you just like if I give you two options when you go to a sandwich shop you're going to have an easier time making a decision if I have a hundred <laughs> different sandwiches right you know and Um, and, and the, (laughs) and to, to get off track, the sandwich shops that have a hundred wonder why they can't sell any because they're overwhelming people, but same thing relates in healthcare and any other industry. But, um, no, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with, and also thoroughly thinking about solutions. Um, I guess kind of transitioning from there, um, why don't you just give us some more detail about the. Current venture you're working on now, and um, I mean, you gave us a little bit of how you got into it, but sure. tell uh, tell the audience more sure. about it. Sure. So,
1: um, Nightingale Apps is one of my companies. So, I actually have two companies. Nightingale Apps is the first one, and <clears throat> the first application is called Know My Patient. And so, if you recall when I was talking earlier, nurses feeling like they, I feel like I don't know my patient anymore, and then I. I studied the meaning of knowing the patient to find out that it really is um, knowing clinical information and personal information. So you had mentioned something that caught my attention at the very beginning about really knowing the person. And I think that's a big distinction because it's one thing to sort of put a diagnosis on someone to say, oh, appendicitis or, you know, cellulitis or whatever it is. But behind that diagnosis is a human being that has likes and dislikes and has a way of communicating that might be different from someone else and preferences and all of those things are so important to deliver good nursing care because keep in mind there's a human being in that bed or chair and nothing feels worse than when you feel like you're like not paid like it it, it, you're like a robot I mean it's it's just so incredibly awkward and so, know my patient um, is designed to support the nurse from shift report. So, I mentioned shift report with their writing on the pieces of paper. And I thought, well, this is insane. Like, why are we still doing this? We now have smartphone devices that fit in your pocket. The inf- Most of the information, not all of it, most of the information is in the electronic health record. Let's provide you with what you need to know for shift report across Every nurse, instead of having it be nurse dependent. And then once you make it nurse dependent, then you're introducing the potential for error because one nurse may think something's more important than the other. And the continuity can break there. And there's there's evidence to show that 70% of sentinel events, those are things that should never happen, are a result of communication failures during handoffs. And it's not necessarily just nursing handoffs, but nursing handoffs happen twice a day at least, if not three. And so I saw these little devices that I'm talking to you on right now in their pockets popping out for the calculator for the time for the flashlight when they didn't want to turn the light on in the room because they wanted to make sure the patient could still sleep. And I thought, okay, this is working for them. Cause we give nurses so many things that's like, okay, now you're going to fill out this form and you're going to fill out this form and this form and this form. And they're just like, Oh my God. Like, you know, and it's a burden. It doesn't help. It actually creates more work for them. But I saw these smartphones, and their utility of them as a helping agent. And I thought, okay, let's put an app together that can integrate with the medical record and provide them what they need to know on the go and be able to deliver it to them so that we can improve on safety. We can actually maybe let you go home on time and save the hospital money. We can, um, you know, provide care in a more timely way. And I can't really go into the specifics of how it works, but, These are some of the metrics as well as, you know, make patients feel like, you know, who they are. There was a time that um, I'll never forget this. This was very early and we were getting ready to, I was was shadowing one of the nurses, we're getting ready to go into this isolation. Well, it wasn't an isolation room, a patient um, who had cancer and we were putting on isolation uh, gowns, gloves and masks to protect the patient from any possible infection. And so this nurse pulls out all of these saline syringes from her pockets, which are very common when you're flushing lines and they're wrapped in sterile packaging. It probably was like a dozen. And she said, I'd normally take the packaging off of these before entering the room to save myself some time as a nurse. I know that makes sense. And she said, but this parent specifically said um, she wants them in the packaging. And so that small detail caught my attention because I said, how do you know that? And she said, well, hopefully somebody tells you in shift report. Otherwise it's nowhere in the chart. And she's right this, that type of information isn't in the chart, but imagine what that parent feels like if they, she constantly is seeing people not hearing what she's asking for. I mean, that, that trust relationship starts to break. So all these factors led into the design of like what we created for know my patient. And now as a business, we're, um, you know, working to launch that app. And, you know, one thing I'll say about healthcare is it takes a lot longer than anyone anticipates. And a lot of that is environmentally is the organization ready for what you're bringing them. Right. It's like, so I, you know, I think about like, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning and I'm like, okay, we, we still need to like, you know, show that mobile is important. And so um and that's where you're saying innovation. A lot of hospitals are moving towards innovation, but they're still like trying to figure out what's our mobile strategy. And so um, you know, that's a little interesting to me because all of those people that are trying to figure out their mobile strategy, I'm sure have a mobile device that they use for their life. So it's, it's always interesting to me when we're sort of that far behind what our day-to-day life is like, you know what I mean? So um, anyway, as a company, we're working to launch that application. We have another um, app that we're getting ready to release, which is more of like a, a fun app for nurses to use stickers. So I message stickers and cool. um, yeah, some other things in the works. But that is, that is where we're at today, and it's, it's exciting because, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to when we can really see um, nurses use our app and have their faces light up because when we've shown it to them, I mean, it's like <laughs> they're just so excited, but getting it into their hands, it's not their decision, which is um, it's a whole other uh, interesting environmental uh, play
0: yeah I think that's a lot of people a lot a thing that a lot of people outside of healthcare don't realize. It's literally the majority of the employees at a hospital or other healthcare facility could want a technology or a certain device or a certain drug, and even though the majority of the employees, the clinicians and everyone else involved in the healthcare process wants it, they don't necessarily get it. Um, even if the cost makes sense, even if it, it's a, uh, it's a decision that's often out of their hands. So you make a really good point. With, they're going to be very excited when they can get it in their hands. Yeah. And, um, and I'm sure that'll be a very rewarding time for you as well. Just knowing you know, your hard work has has gotten you to that point. So that's that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, now, what what advice would you have to healthcare professionals? We talked a little bit about it that want to dive into entrepreneurship that maybe are getting in their own way or they don't think they can do just yeah. a variety of different things. What would you give them just kind of a, a brief advice for them to take that next step?
1: Well, I think, you know, it's, everyone has the potential to really identify a, a big problem that can be solved. You have That is not the hard part. Like, (laughs) I could come up with 10 things today if somebody wanted me to. I'm just looking around the room or whatever and and say, well, these are things that you could do to solve certain things. The challenge is, do you really want to take that on, right? Like, that, I think, is where people need to make that decision because there's a very uh, interesting, um, I get a lot of people that reach out, I have an idea for this or I have an idea for that. And the conversation tends to really reveal itself quite quickly how committed that person really is, you know, whether they think it's going to take them three months um, or a year. And, you know, there's no way for me to sort of gauge someone's personal commitment level. But I can say that you have to really look at this as this is a long-term endeavor in the sense that this isn't going to, you know, you're not going to be done in two years, (laughs) you know, like you're looking at five to 10 um, if not more to get to that level of growth. And are you ready to take that on? And I think that's an important decision for people to make. I've come up with so many different ideas that I think are wonderful, but I, I mentally go down the pathway of what's involved with it. And that's what, takes me out. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, because I've thought about like all of the steps that are involved in all of the areas, whether it's intellectual property or legal or marketing, sales, uh, product development. And I think, you know, that, that, pathway has to be something you're thinking about. So if somebody's really early and they're like, Oh, I've got an idea for something. I think they need to first decide, am I committed to this? And, you know, commitment means your time, your energy, your effort, your money. A lot of people don't realize that most entrepreneurs are putting their own money to get their startups off the ground. And it's, it's very rare to get funding from a pitch deck, but it happens. Um, and so that, all of those things in place but then beyond your own commitment really not getting discouraged at the first sign of somebody telling you no or why are you doing that or that will never happen or any variation of like a roadblock because those comments will happen all the time and i've run into entrepreneurs who have said yeah we were really excited but then we went and met with someone and they didn't get it. And so we kind of have put it on the table and I'm like, okay, well, one person, you know, and, and then you, it just, sometimes I think those give you an indication as to how committed you are. Like some people will react and be like, all right, yeah, they're right. No, we're not going to do it. But others will be like, you know what? No, I'm going to keep going. And I'm just going to move you aside while I keep going. And that is a, that (laughs) is a, behavior, and I think a personality trait that perhaps could be learned. I don't really know the science around it, but that's a difference. So are you committed um, making sure you're getting the right people around you? And then the environment, the larger environment has this perception that people can Translate their idea into this multi million dollar machine in a few years. And that is just an unrealistic expectation for someone to um, go into this thinking. And it could really set them up to think, well, I'm never going to get there because I should have been there already, especially in healthcare. I mean, I use this example a lot recently because it's just struck me as so interesting. So, electronic health records, so my area. Of, of expertise. I wrote a textbook on them. It um, started in 1968. So there was a physician by the name of Lawrence Weed, and he wrote in the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm paraphrasing it right now, but talked about how we needed to have um, computer, computer technology to support problem lists for physicians. So like the early early uh, design of an electronic health record. And then uh, around that time, people were starting to build the first electronic health record. So we're talking about 1968, before anybody (laughs) had computers, okay? And those computers were those big mainframes that lived in these basements. And so we did not hit like near full adoption of electronic health records until like the last five years. And that was because of the federal regulation of high tech which who knows where we would be if we didn't have that, which incentivized hospitals to get digital. It took 50 years. So, and I think about my dissertation advisor, Ed Hammond, who created one of the first electronic health records and think, how did he hold on for this long? (laughs) Because, you know, if you've got an idea and it's taking like decades, I mean, that's incredibly frustrating to have people look at you and think, well, this is never going to happen, but look, it, it does happen. So in healthcare, I mean, it's probably an extreme example, but that just demonstrates, like, it takes a long time in healthcare because of the regulations, because of the complexity of the healthcare environment, because you're taking care of human lives. Um, you know, the technology, the, the, the lack of really understanding of technology. There's a lot of that. Um, in the users as well as, you know, people sort of being afraid of it, which is a whole nother thing. So I think, you know, for anyone going into it, they need to recognize that um, while there are some examples of entrepreneurship that sort of permeate our day to day, like Instagram, you know, getting bought at a ridiculously high price within a couple of years of their their creation. I mean, how many Instagrams are there? Like there's one. So like, you know, there's so many other companies that are just slowly advancing their, their efforts um, over time. And those are the ones that you need to pay attention to not, not the unique um, things that come out of left field, especially in healthcare, because it's just, it just takes that much longer. So I would say make sure you're committed Um, make sure you don't get discouraged by no, no's, um, make sure you find people that you trust and, um, are really committed to your idea. And they could be team members. They could be informal advisors. They could be formal advisors. They could be colleagues or friends. You just want to surround yourself with people that believe in what you're doing, because if they don't believe in what you're doing, it's going to be uncomfortable to be around them. And, um, and then also just recognizing that it takes a long time. And I don't say all these things to discourage someone from entering the field. If anything, the opposite. Because if you know it's going to take a long time, then it the, the, the bar gets set a little bit differently. Um, and, you know, some of this I've had to figure out on my own. And that's why I share some of this because it's just it doesn't happen in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Definitely not.
0: Yeah no you're you're spot on it and i I'd, I'd like to add to uh, just don't be afraid to tell others what you're working on and your ideas in this space to healthcare professionals that are interested in diving in entrepreneurship. I think there's two reasons a lot of people feel they don't want to share their idea. one, they think someone's going to steal mm-hmm. it, but ideas are cheap it's execution that really creates the the big businesses. And two, they're afraid of the criticism they're going to get. But that's the best part. Yeah. When someone says, like, have you thought about doing it? No, actually, I didn't. Maybe let me take a look at it. So I, I think you you brought up a lot of good points. And uh, I mean, you can tell within two seconds of talking to someone how passionate they are about their business and the industry. And, and that came across the first time we talked. And it comes across even more after hearing you talk more about um, you and your history.
1: Yeah, you, you have to, like, be your best advocate and um, and really believe in what you're doing. And some people will say, I don't get it because they really just don't understand. I mean, if somebody were going to start to talk to me about molecular biology, ways of, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have any context to know if what they're telling me was valuable or not. And so it would be a detriment to get my feedback, for them. You know what I mean? So you have to pick the right group of people to to listen to and hear from so that they can understand what you're saying as well as provide you their, their point of view. So it's it's a um we do need more people in this area because there are just so many problems to be solved. But I also think we need to make sure that people who decide they want to do this are really prepared for a multi-year effort um towards their goal and also being smart about how they find resources and or use their resources and so when i say resources generally i'm thinking about like funding and not sort of just funding the machine to fund the machine
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely very good points Okay. Well, I, I definitely, I want to thank you for, for coming on the, the podcast today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Where, uh, where can people get in touch with you and follow your, your company? Sure.
1: So um, my, if anyone wanted to reach out, my email address is Tiffany T I F F a N Y dot Kelly K E L L E Y at nightingale com. We have our website nightingaleapps.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, um Twitter, Uh, Those are some places you can find me and uh, my other company we didn't talk about today, but uh, I care nursing solutions. So the letter I care nursing solutions is another place you can find me and I'd be happy to connect with whomever had a question or wanted to chat.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on again. And, and uh, we look forward to hearing how business progresses and, uh, keep up the keep up the grind. Yeah,
1: thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Well, you have a great day. Thanks for coming You on. too.
1: Thanks, Jared. Bye-bye. Right. Bye.
0: Thanks to everyone who tuned in to another episode of Slice of Healthcare. Please be sure to check us out at www.sliceofhealthcare.com and follow us on our social channels at sliceofhealthcare.com. On Twitter, we're at SliceofHC. Thanks, and look forward to another episode of Slice of Healthcare coming up in the next couple of days. Thanks, have a great day. The podcast you just heard was recorded with Anchor. If you want to make your own, download the Android or iOS app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast. That's anchor.fm slash podcast.